Chapter Twenty One of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Discipline. It was Holly who met the family at the door. Kate was the first to climb the high step. You are not to be frightened, Holly said, holding the lamp so that she could not see into the room. Your father has had a fall and is hurt a little. I think not much. I brought him home and have sent for my father. Do you know whether he has come home yet? He was to call for Mildred Powers. Had he done so when you came away? He came just as we started, Kate said. Oh, Holly! She went forward and bent over her father. He was lying quietly enough, but the blood which Holly's assistant had vainly tried to stop was still oozing from the wound on his temple, and even in the dim light of that smoking lamp the face was ghastly. What is it? said john coming forward what is the matter how did he get hurt they kicked him out said holly the indignant blood rising to his forehead as he thought of the scene i saw it all they kicked him out of moxon's saloon jake evans came along just then with his wagon and we brought him home they ought to be punished for it holly's sentences were mixed but his listeners knew what he meant john's face was dark he was very low down. He had suffered all manner of indignities. He had felt long ago that his self-respect was gone. But to-night he felt that to have an old, grey-haired father kicked from one of the worst saloons in the town was something to remember. There was a sound of feet outside, and a quick knock at the half-closed door. Holly heard his father's voice. "'What's to pay here? Is my boy here? Why, Holly, how is this? Kate, good evening.' father hurt let me look at him he pushed rapidly by and reached the bed there followed a careful examination and short decisive directions to one and another of those who looked on at last the doctor turned from the bed it is a very serious affair kate his head has been hurt it is hard to tell just now what the result will be i suspect we will have a case of fever the blow is not so serious, but he might rally without much trouble if the system were not in such a reduced condition. But as it is, here he paused and sighed. No need to remind this girl, with her wide-open, sorrowful eyes, what it was that had so reduced her father's system. A few more directions about the night, a promise to look in, early in the morning, and then the doctor turned to Holly. Now, my boy, you and I must get home. Your mother is in trouble about you. The boy flushed a little as he moved toward the door. He was not conscious of having done anything that should cause a mother anxiety. Kate came to the door with him and held the light and murmured, as he jumped from the high step, Holly, how you have helped me tonight. You are keeping your promise. He turned and smiled back on her, his face bright. He would help her all he could, he was sure of that. Mrs. Copeland was waiting with anxious face. "'What is all this?' she asked, the moment that Holly sprang from the carriage. "'What in the world were you doing on the flats? I did not know you ever went in that part of the town. Here it is nearly ten o'clock, and I alone, waiting to be interviewed by a wretched teamster, smelling of whiskey, to be told that you are up on the flats with a drunken man.' Holly, what does it mean? The boy wound an arm caressingly about his mother's neck. Don't worry, mother, he said. I'm all right. 
I saw a loafer kick an old man out of his saloon door just as I was passing, and Jake Evans came along just then, and I helped him carry the old man home and waited until father came. Jake hadn't been drinking tonight, mother. He was pretty sober. I am real sorry I frightened you, but I did not see anything else to do. Who was the old man? How did you know what to do or where to go? I cannot understand it. I thought you were a little boy. Holly laughed, glanced at his shadow in the mirror, and drew himself up half an inch. He was growing taller. I am getting to be a big boy, he said, and he drew a long breath. He wished just then that he were as large as a giant, and had power to sweep the rum traffic out of the world. Mother, the old man was Kate's father. He is almost seventy years old. Think of kicking him out on the stones. He hurt his head. Father thinks he will be very sick. Perhaps will die. If he does, it is murder. His mother uttered an exclamation, divided between dismay and disapprobation. I suppose the poor old wretch had been drinking. It would be almost a blessing to the town if he were to die. What comfort do you suppose such fathers can be to anybody? So that is the way you became mixed up in it. I shall never hear the end of Kate Hartzell, I'm afraid. If she mixes you in with her low associates, I shall never forgive her, Holly. The boy turned eager eyes on his mother. I will not mix up with rum, mother. You need not be afraid. I hate it, and so does Kate. It is she who has helped me to hate it. If you could have seen her tonight, you would have understood what she has had to give up for it. I don't wonder that she hates it so. Mother, you never saw such a place to live, and rum made it. I am going to fight rum with all my might. You need not be afraid for me. But she was afraid. She went to bed with a troubled heart. She told the doctor, when he came in, that she would give almost anything if Holly had never seen nor heard of Kate Hartzell, that he was such a queer boy, and Kate had somehow gotten such a hold on him, and now she had gone back among that set, and there was no telling how far Holly might go in his romantic scheme. "'She will just be dragged down,' said the mother, "'and if she gets hold of Holly, I shall never forgive her nor myself.' nonsense said the doctor she doesn't look much dragged down yet and the place is five times more decent already than it was i was there to see the woman some weeks ago and i can see it has greatly changed for the better already the boy must see the evil that there is in the world i would rather he would see the side of rum which shows on the flats than that which shows up in some of our parlours Yes, Dr. Copeland, in the parlor of the Flemings, for instance, where your one daughter is standing beside a young man whose talk is growing thick because he has drank so much homemade wine. But the one in whom she is most interested is not there. He is at this moment in one of the more respectable of the downtown saloons, pouring red-hot brandy down his throat. They will put him to bed by and by, for he is respectable and can pay his bill." in this saloon they do not kick their victims into the street there are two or three grades before they graduate them in that manner to-morrow the respectable young ladies will bow to eben bruce and say to one another that he is fine-looking and holly copeland will suppose him to be a model young man better that holly should get his lessons on rum from old joe hartzell than from such as he 
if mrs copeland had prophetic eyes she would bitterly regret the day that her fanny met this respectable young man who is fascinating her and would have no regrets to spare for the time spent by holly on the flats then began work for kate hartzell such as she had not planned sore work it was trying alike to nerves and to pride she had shouldered her heavy cross with vigour she had so fully taken in the thought of sacrifice and toil and privation and victory that the work she meant to do the vigilance she meant to use in order to rescue this brother and this father from the devourer had actually begun to look almost inviting she felt herself armed for the conflict as she walked home from the prayer-meeting that saturday evening she could give little attention to lloyd mclean's kind efforts to draw her into conversation so full was she of the great thoughts and plans born of the hour in fact she had roused him instead of his doing that benevolent thing for her she had when he unwittingly started her on the right theme talked so eagerly and well that as he bade her good-night at the door he went away saying upon my word she is a wide-awake girl and a plucky girl to go into that den to live and see what she can do she ought to succeed i shouldn't wonder if she would she ought to have help i'm half resolved to throw myself into this thing heart and soul and see what can be done he had not tarried long enough to see what was waiting for kate behind that opening door if he had it might have given him an added thrill of determination for a young and able-bodied man it must be something of a stimulus to think of old trembling limbs and white hairs being kicked into the gutter for even though the white hairs belong to a drunkard they are marks of age and the swift coming grave it is one thing to work early and late to plan how a room shall be made neat and a supper inviting out of almost nothing to think out and work out ways of circumventing the enemy to keep up heart and hope enough for an utterly discouraged and deeply burdened woman to lean upon to sew with strong skilful hand at honest work which is to bring honest pay and help to show the watching world that there is a dignified intention to carry this thing through and support one's self and one's flesh and blood kate was ready for all this it is another thing to sit day after day and night after night beside a worn-out old body from which the living part seems to have gone away leaving utter darkness behind to feed the almost breathless body at intervals with sips of food which charity has provided to give occasionally a fresh pillow provided by charity to shade a lamp which is decent because charity has seen to it that a decent one came into the room to watch and wait with folded hands and yet with hands which must remain there folded ready for emergencies and to feel almost certain that the emergency will be perhaps a gasp and a struggle and then utter and eternal silence this was kate hartzell's work and for this she was not prepared she felt like a caged lion she felt at times as though she must go out and scream anything to get away from that bed made neat by other help than hers kept neat because miss wainwright mr cleveland and his mother and two or three others were charitable the very oranges provided by the thoughtfulness of mildred powers at times so chafed her poor overwrought nerves that it seemed to her she must throw them somewhere out of sight yet sit there she must and watch and wait 
only relieved for a few hours at a time by the sister-in-law who was too much worn with insufficient food and a broken heart to be worth much as a watcher as for john he was at work and mr cleveland and lloyd mclean and miss hunter and some others about whom kate did not know so much were doing her watching for her so far they were doing it well john came home each night sober grave ready to sit for a little while by his father and let kate rest but even this respite she must not take i don't dare to trust him would mr cleveland say shaking his head he has been working hard and he is keeping up a fierce struggle during these days fiercer than you or i can imagine he needs his long night's quiet sleep or the battle will go against him and so because john hartzell had chosen to throw away his manhood it could not be trusted during this strain and the frail girl must come to the rescue and let him sleep there were times when kate curled her lip over it all and said to herself that a man who had no more manhood than that ought to go down but this she did not mean mrs john hartzell's life was certainly passing more quietly during these days than it had for years she kept the small room neat and cooked as good food as she could with the necessity upon them of keeping the fire low because of the sick man she made earnest efforts to have the dishes she prepared for kate look inviting but poor kate was getting where she could not touch them she utterly loathed the bread of charity particularly repugnant to her were the broths the jellies and custards that came from mrs copeland's well-stocked home mrs copeland had relented to the degree that she supposed the poor wretch must have something palatable to eat so she constantly sent it but she never came to look in on poor kate nor sent her a message and kate worn as she was with watching and excitement resented this treatment as she had not in the days when it was first offered felt insulted felt that she would rather starve than to eat food of that woman's providing indeed during this hard time i am not sure but the only warm corner of kate's heart was kept for the boy holly his visits were rare his mother took care of that she would not have him going to the flats under any pretext whatever and so save on those rare occasions when the doctor called for his company to hold the horse or to do the errands kate saw none of him yet hardly a day passed in which she did not get some simple boyish reminder of his sympathy often it was an apple which she could not eat sometimes it was a choice confection which the doctor would produce with an amused smile and a kate here is something that holly was sure you would like sometimes it was a hurriedly penciled note kate i don't forget i am watching for chances to help one night it was oh kate i know he is very bad father says so but i wouldn't give up hoping i think he will speak to you again and maybe tell you some good news i dreamed last night that he did kate i have been praying for him and maybe my dream was an answer kate cried a little over that letter she had given up hoping that the living death on the bed would ever use human speech again she saw doubt grow stronger in the doctor's eyes it was a terrible strain to the girl to live so constantly in the presence of death and feel that it was to engulf her father and that he was not ready for the plunge very few realized through what surges of feeling she was passing least of all perhaps did the girl herself realize it 
I wish you would drink a little of it, Kate. You haven't eaten a thing today. How long will you keep up in this way? It was Mrs. Hartzell who spoke in a gentle, pleading tone, and the china bowl which she held had an appetizing odor about it. Kate knew the china. It was Mrs. Copeland's. I can't eat, she said sharply, and the sooner I break down and am done with all this, the better it will be for me. Then both turned as a shadow darkened the window, and saw Mr. Cleveland. Kate's face was crimson. She was ashamed of her words, yet had seemed to have no power to control them. He took no notice, was as one who had not heard. He had come with a headrest, which the doctor had advised for the sick man, and he helped adjust it with few words, and went his way. But that night, just at dark, Miss Wainwright's carriage drove into the flats. It was unladen of various things for the comfort of the household. Then both Miss Wainwright and Miss Hunter came into the room. "'Child,' said the former, nodding her head toward Miss Hunter as she spoke, but looking at Kate, "'she has come to stay all night. She is a better nurse than you are, and you are to go home with me and go to bed.' To Kate's eager protest she returned no other answer than to say to Mrs. John Hartzell, "'Where is her bonnet? Put it on her.' which Mrs. Hartzell did. An hour later poor, tired Kate sat among the cushions of a luxurious chair, and sipped creamy milk, and ate crumbs of biscuit. Mr. Cleveland sat at a table in the corner. He had been looking over and arranging certain business papers for Miss Wainwright. As he now arose and handed them to that lady, he said, "'These are the ones you need to sign. Do it now, please, and I will take them with me.' While he waited, he said to Kate, speaking low, I am keeping my contract with you, but you are not satisfied with God's way of doing it, are you? You want your own. Then he went away. End of chapter 21